we're all gonna live in a big house in Changu in, in Bali and build a startup. And I was like, dude, like that is the most like perfect thing for me. But like, I've just got this job and I'm three months in and I'm like, I'm, I am ma- making a, a lot of money. My dad, who continues to give me such good advice. One of the things that he did tell me, Jamie, so you're telling me you're going to join a travel and backpacking brand which sells a travel towel whilst nobody's traveling hmm that sounds like a really good idea yeah you should leave your high paying job in singapore which was very secure and really good to go and do this yeah that sounds great and i'm like hmm yeah you're probably right it starts with just taking that leap Man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart. Choose something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are going to be proud of. Does it matter how badly you got beaten down? Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go through that. <laughs> I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. Jamie was about to risk everything to create a travel towel company in Bali during COVID. Maybe not the most opportune time, but Jamie takes risks. From eBay side hustles in his teens to transcontinental moves for new job opportunities, Jamie has learned that taking risks can forge new connections with people who were once strangers. Jamie's learned that these new relationships have vastly changed the trajectory of his life, and now he's trying to give others that opportunity. Jamie's company, Been There, works to connect aspiring entrepreneurs, thinkers, and leaders with advisors that have been there before. His company is trying to broaden who can be mentors. It's not about knowing everything. It's just about knowing a bit more than the person you're advising. That way, we can all be mentors. But before meeting strangers all over the world, he spent his childhood growing up in Newcastle, England, where he learned his father's life motto, a stranger is a friend you haven't met yet. I am Jamie Golding. I am from Newcastle in England. And I would say I'm a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. I have a lot of energy. I love to meet people. I get my energy from people. So it feels right and it feels very aligned to be now working in a business and starting a company that helps connect people. And this stems back from from way back, my dad's motto in life, which was a stranger is a friend you haven't met yet. And (laughs) I was so embarrassed as a kid. We used to go to Italy or all these different places on on holiday. My dad, you know, when you go on a group tour and like there would be that one dad who's asking all the questions and like making friends with all the other parents and making jokes. And that was my dad. And I was so embarrassed as a kid, like, oh, no, not again, dad. Yeah. And I kind of want to dive into that concept and also just like, you know, some of your earliest childhood memories. Can you tell me about growing up in, in the UK? Yeah, I <laughs> I had an awesome childhood. I have one brother, three years younger, and we always were playing outside uh, with friends, always, always outside, always up to a little bit of mischief, always planning. Mischief, what kind of mischief? Knocking on people's doors and running away, like climbing up trees, making dens, keep going back in the woods, breaking into the woods when it got boarded up, like all of these things. So, so yeah, just I, I always like to create an adventure get out and go exploring. And with that explorer exploration, you find 
all this new stuff. And I feel like that's what we had as a child. And this is why my childhood, as I remember, had been so good because we spent most of the time outside. And it seems like travel was pretty important with your parents. You mentioned like you would go to like Italy and these museums. And it seems like your parents introduced you to culture. Do you remember any trips that were like in your early childhood that were particularly eye-opening or meaningful or memorable? Skiing was a big excitement every year and I just loved it like for me that was like the coolest trip to go on and then we used to do summer holidays as well and one that really sticks out is to France to the Dordogne it's a it's an area in the south of France and they have big rivers and, and lakes and it's such a beautiful area where we would we would always go camping <laughs> and we would arrive on the campsite and as I said we were mischievous so the parents would start putting up the tent and me and my brother would go okay can we go explore now and can we go and then they'd be like yeah so you can go okay so we would run off and we would always find something interesting or someone else's tent or an abandoned tent and we'd be like inside that tent like exploring and going through all of their stuff uh, and then we would like find something or find some money or something it'd be like so random and then we would like run around this campsite almost like taking pe people's pegs out wait, or, and, like, wait uh, so you were robbing people's tents no, 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 no. <laughs> you would find money well, like, in the tents and then take them out. it would be almost be like an abandoned tent or something was there a little bit more of like a rebellious streak in your parents as well? Or was it just isolated to the kids? It could be isolated. <laughs> uh, our parents had a, a lot of energy. We were always doing, they worked a lot and then we would get home and we would like quickly eat and we would go to this club and this club or football or there was so much of that. My dad would wake up at five in the morning travel all the way down to london which was three four hours away he would then work all day long uh he he was the head of sales at a company called royal mail royal mail is like the postal industry for example like usps and he would do meetings all day long and then he would arrive home and then he'd be like let's do your maths homework and i'll be like oh no my parents are very good and honest values as well and always doing the right thing one of actually funny story of one of my earliest memories was going to a big supermarket called sainsbury's huge store like a like a walmart and i had stolen some like pokemon cards oh classic <laughs> yeah i know and i got home and my dad saw them and he was like where did you get them and i was like uh, I got them be like before and he was like, no, you just got them now. And my dad drove me back to this huge Sainsbury's and asked for the manager in front of everyone. And I had to say to the manager, like, hey, I, I actually stole these and give them back. And that was my like embarrassment and punishment of, of stealing. And that was like such the, the right thing to do of such a special thing. And I always have lived my life from like doing the right thing. And I think that all came from my parents. What were you most interested in as you got a little bit older? Like maybe say like around like teenage years, 14, 15, were you interested in school? Were you interested in things outside of school? Did any early entrepreneurial interests come up? I loved school throughout my whole childhood. I just loved it. I had a passion of football. I loved football, playing sports. I pretty much loved every sport. So did sports studies. Uh, I started to do business when I was even much younger. I remember creating a den in a campsite somewhere uh, or a forest. I think this was in France. And a little boy came and was like, hey, I want to play in your den. And I was like, 
well, you have to pay <laughs> to get in. <laughs> and so he went back to his grandma, found some money, and then came back and then paid me just to get inside my den. That Wait, created. what is a den? A den's like a... a treehouse? Like almost, but like on the floor. Okay. So with my brother and with my, my good friends... So you got had, a little club in there. Yeah, we'd created... Cover a, feed. Yeah, we'd put some planks of wood together and made this little den. And then when my parents found out, I charged someone. They were like, you can't do that. You have to go. In. And I ended up giving the money back. So I think there was always this, I guess, way of trying to make money. How did you continue following these like business interests? Was there anything else that you decided to do? Anything else that you decided to sell? Yeah. So I then started playing this computer game called RuneScape. Shout oh, out. I love RuneScape, oh, dude. RuneScape was the one. And so it's so funny because my parents are so active. So we'd always be going to the Lake District, which is about an hour away, like the, these big mountains, um, super beautiful in, in England. And so like other kids would come with our family because we're always doing things. And we'd also mean that would go on like eight hour hikes. And like all me and my friends would do is like be so upset that we were not playing RuneScape <laughs> and we had to go on these hikes. And, yeah. But what we would do is just spend eight hours talking about RuneScape. <laughs> We'd like nonstop. You have different levels. Just like you can fight, you have strength and defense and you can also do like fishing and you can do all these other things to generate money, which helps you like, I guess, be a better character. And I think that was the first time I really understood business. And what I love to do is buy things and then move worlds and sell it for more or find ways to buy things and then sell it for more. And so that kind of created this entrepreneurial like, oh, this is easy. This is the easiest way to make money. Like I just quickly uh, flip things. So that's how I kind of started to generate this like love and I guess passion for, for business. When did you take that flipping mentality and that, I guess, like seeing value or creating value into the real world. I was getting into the ages of say 15, 16. The big problem was the credit card, like actually having a credit card to buy online because our parents were still a bit scared of the internet back then. They yeah, didn't really it's like, want are to, they like, stealing my credit card information? Well, exactly. Yeah. They didn't want to give me credit card details, but I saw an opportunity of buying items from China and then shipping them over to England. And then I would list them on eBay and then I would sell these, these products from, from headphones to sunglasses. So now I would be sat at school and about this time I had, I had a phone. It would go like the little eBay, like ching ching, like of making money. And you'd be sat at school going like, oh, no way. I've just made like 60 quid. This was that. Well, that was my first taste of, I guess, money. And then I was able to buy things myself in normal life. Like, oh, well, I'm going to buy this and I'm going to buy like a phone case. And I'm going to buy this. Did these like businesses on eBay develop more? Like what was the furthest you took it to? Yeah, so 16, I guess 16, 17, 18, I remember making a few thousand dollars and like probably overall at that point, almost like suddenly it got very flooded. So each product was replicated many times on eBay, a lot of competition. And so it started to be not as profitable. And I remember getting to that point of like, is it so worth it? Studies started to be more. Uh, I was still playing football. So there was like a lot going on, I guess. Uh, but now in retrospect, I wish I'd kind of stuck with it. So you kind of put things on pause. Yeah, I think it just got to the point of like, it actually takes a lot of time and stress of like potentially even like spending this money. I think maybe I had a, I can't remember exactly, but potentially I had a bad experience of like something not arriving and that hassle of like now spending that money and then go and through that out whole, of pocket. Yeah. Exactly. That whole refund phase of like all of this stuff was, was very difficult when you don't have that much money. How did you decide to pursue business? Like, why was that interesting to you? So at school, I... 
was doing maths. I was doing sport. I was doing business. I love the business side of things like it was creating your own little business and for me it just made complete sense to go and do business at university so i got into a really good school which is a business school called aston aston business school which is in birmingham and it just felt really good I arrived on campus and i was like so excited it was like this new i want i knew i wanted to move away so again it was like maybe that was that distilled like a stranger's a friend you haven't met yet right mm. I, was, I knew the world was so big and exciting and like i'd just seen a small pocket of it and i think i'd been given the foundation of like the lessons and understanding of the world is bigger because we traveled a lot we've seen things and for me that was so exciting to like go and move to a different city and like start my own life and like i had a girlfriend at the time for two and a half years and i went to university for one week and i was just like whoa like the people you met there was just so much more open in terms yeah. of like their eye, like it's almost like the horse blinkers that you have. And it suddenly like opened up and it was like, wow, the world, there's so much possibility here. There's so many different things of different people's backgrounds and it was so multicultural as well. So for, for in, in where I was based, um, a town near Newcastle called Chesley street there, there was 99% white people. It was very rare that we would even see any other cultures. And so, in Birmingham was the second biggest city in the in England. White people were the minority. So I flipped it, which was such an interesting thing. And I remember my friends at school going like, oh no, you're going to be the only white person there. And then it was so eye-opening and so beautiful to see like everyone is just human. So how did you expand, I guess, your worldview? I mean, like you, you started with just going to college, a new city, but I imagine you started traveling to new countries pretty soon after that in terms of exploring by yourself because i think it's one thing to explore with your parents and what did you look to explore i'd been to america a few times as a kid very lucky we went to orlando a few times new york and it was just like this world of craziness to me everything was so big and abundant and loud and that was so exciting for me so i actually did camp america it's a program that they have like English and maybe European, but I think mainly English would travel and be counselors of these camps in America. So I went and stayed in New Hampshire in Lake Winnipesaukee. It was incredible. I was 19 at the time. So it was the first year of university. I traveled for the, basically the whole summer. I went there. I became a wakeboard instructor. Beautiful, beautiful lake and lived in these little cabins and had, I was looking after kids who were like six and seven. And I just became a big kid for like eight weeks. It was like the best life ever. It was so good. And I really just adored that time. And it again opened up. I met my best friend there. We met two Americans who were also the wakeboards guys and then another guy. English guy was was sailing instructor. We just became best friends, but everyone on camp was just incredible. I yeah, I, I loved it. When we arrived, I remember on the first two nights or something, we sat around this fire. And they were like, "Yeah, welcome. This is the Harvard of camps." And I was like, "What?" And they were like, "Yeah." And like all, all these kids were paying so much money, and yeah, that really gave me the the bug because afterwards I got to travel with the guys I'd met at the camp. So we went all the way from New Hampshire all the way to Missouri by on a road trip. 
We went into Texas. Uh, I missed my flight in Texas because we went tailgating at one of the games, a baseball game. We literally walked into the baseball game, took a few photos because we're like, ah, oh, English guy, let's take a few photos. And then went straight into the bar and they just stayed in the bar the whole time, which was crazy. And then missed my flight the next morning to New York. But I just had like, I was in Missouri on the farm with my, my friends shooting guns. I was like, this is and like a huge bonfire on his farm. I just wanted to continue creating these best friends and these connections all around the world. So I then came back and every summer, actually, I traveled. So the next year we went interrailing, me and Path, one of the guys I met, the English guy, we went all traveling around Europe. The next year, Southeast Asia, the next year and, and California, the next year, Southeast Asia again. So I kind of got that travel bug and, and mainly went alone. To be honest, I love traveling alone. It was so good. Did you feel like you adopted any of your dad's mannerisms in terms of just like chatting up random people or were you uh, a little bit more reserved? I remember actually getting back from America and my voice changed. I, I was almost like this chameleon where I just like adapted to whatever. And so I think that was the first time my voice started changing. I became like American people. I got home and people were like, you're American now. I'm like, am I? <laughs> what are you talking about, man? <laughs> whatever. But also talking to random people very easily, it just became very natural for me, like standing in a queue and just making someone laugh. I like to be silly. I, I, I do get told, I am told by a lot of people like, oh, I thought you were much older. So I'm obviously there's like maturity in there but I like to be very silly and not take life so seriously and I think that maybe came from my dad of like just go and speak to people like what's the worst going to happen I kind of want to take your life and your travels up until London you mentioned the girlfriend and you mentioned the relationship with you was what two and a half years or two years well two and a half years was up till university I went to university for a week and I was like wow the world is so big and she wanted to very much stay in our local town. And I was like, I, I, I know I want to do more and see more of the world. And so we actually broke up then. I went to university. On the last year of university, I got a new girlfriend. And after university, I got to travel. So I traveled for six months around Southeast Asia, California. And I wanted to do a ski season. So I did a ski season as well and went and lived in the mountains in France for six months, which was just unbelievable. It was so good. But I had this girlfriend at the same time. So obviously it was so difficult for her. She finished university and she went and worked this very high paying job in London. And that ultimately meant that she like wanted to pursue this career. She was very career driven. Were you not at that point? I just saw that was my last opportunity to enjoy and to like travel and see the world before I had to settle down. And it sounds like you were vagabonding around or at least weren't concerned at that point with like professional goals. I knew the professional world would come and I just saw this as an opportunity. And growing up, I think at like 18 and just getting into that uni phase was like, I want to be a millionaire. And then I just started like watching videos and reading and doing these things. What ultimately showed me all the millionaires are not happy. They've basically sacrificed everything else to be a millionaire no family, no friends. And now they're getting to that stage of being a millionaire, but they don't have anything. And that kind of has made the switch between like, oh, I want to be a millionaire to actually, I just want to have this like balanced life of being surrounded by great people and great community whilst doing something I love. And very much saw this vision of myself, just having this team around me and like an amazing family almost of a, of a company rather than being this like millionaire who's like unhappy. Yeah. Like there's that mentality of like this almost like rat race and everyone's in it for themselves. And like that was not so me. And 
I saw myself as being more balanced. Like I, I wanted to have this balanced life rather than this this pursuit of like all or nothing. Like I don't care if it like damages other people or hurts other people. Like let's get there. Like no, that's not like let's do the right thing. So that was always sort of a big part of me. And so when things ended with your girlfriend in London, how did things end? So we were together for four and a half years. It was such a beautiful relationship. I have so much respect and love for this girl. Uh, she was so driven and I totally believe she was working at Goldman Sachs back then. I want to talk about how you became a barista in London. <laughs> I had been traveling. I knew I wanted to do a ski season. I managed to get a, a ski season job locked in, which was starting in, say, November. We'd leave in November, halfway through. And Katie, my ex-girlfriend, was working at Goldman Sachs. She wanted us to be there. So we moved to Notting Hill. And it was the most magical, beautiful. We lived in this little penthouse of this Australian girl's crib, super cute. And like on Portobello Road, which is one of the most famous roads and, and beautiful streets in London and in, in Notting Hill. From there, I remember walking out and there was a Joe and the Juice, which is a coffee shop chain that just started blowing up. Really cool. And it was just getting built. And I, it was like 20 meters away. So I got around my house and I looked down and I walked in that day and I was like, hey, I'm looking for a job. And they were like, hey, we're, we're just constructing it. We'll be open tomorrow. I was looking around like, no way is it going to be ready tomorrow. Sure thing. I went into the next day, they were like serving customers. I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. This company's wild. And it was just like such a cool vibe, playing music, really, really nice. And he was like, sat me down. We asked, talked about it. I was like, hey, I've got my CV. He's like, no, no, we don't need that. And he was like, yeah, you can have a job. I literally chatted for like 10 minutes. And I was like, that was the easiest job I've ever got. That was incredible. Join the Juice gave me this ability to be practical. And like, you are on the move doing all these things and organizing, which I don't think I was so good at. It was more like, I guess, a little bit more academic. And it kind of put me into this real world of like, this is how like the real world is. Like, you have to be practical. You have to be sharp. You have to be nice to customers. You know, all these different things that kind of helped me and sort of formulate me. And then, yeah, went off skiing. When you came back from ski season, did you feel any pressure to get like a job that I guess was like closer in identity to that of your girlfriends? Yes, but I knew I wanted to go and work in a startup. I didn't really like this corporate feel and look. And I got told stories. And for me, I had a placement year in London previously. That was more like the startup-ish marketing company, which is an events company. And that was a much more of a younger feel and vibe. So how did you get into that? Was that Wings? No, that was uh, a company called Eye for Travel. So it was basically putting on big travel conferences. So you'd have all the top travel companies, uh, airlines would come and like speak at these events. And that was my placement year, which I lived with Nick in London and had an incredible year. That was the third year of university. And again, give me a taste. I was no good for sure, but it also showed me like the way to manage and not manage. It, that, that actually taught me a lot of like how to treat people and how to get the best out of people. So how was Wings when you started that? And how did you get that job? Yeah, I was starting trying for startups. I actually, when I was in my final year of university, I became a suit tailor as well. So I worked for a company called Aquascutum, which was this high-end suit company. I walked in to this store and I was like, hey, I'm looking for a job. I had my CV and I chatted to this guy who was like a bit of a geezer. And he was so cool and so nice. And we got on so well. And he loved that. I was from Newcastle. And, we, and, then, and then he said, yeah, we're looking for someone. And then called me again and said, hey, we're not. But next door, looking for someone. So I went in my suit that I got from Vietnam, three-piece suit, which nice. was super jokes. And they were like, yeah, this is like really nice. And we got on super well. And they were like, yeah, we'll offer you the job. 
Um, but we probably need to get you like a suit from here. So I got a suit, which was like a thousand pounds, wow. 150 pounds shirt. The tie was like a hundred pounds. So I looked super good. <laughs> Every time I've ever put that suit on, everyone's like, wow, Jamie, you look good. I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so Wings was a logistics startup. So I was like, okay, this is interesting. I understand postal. I understand posting things. So like, I've been a small business in terms of like yeah, buying things. Yeah, used to the eBay stuff, yeah. Exactly, e-commerce of buying things and selling. So I understand posting. My dad's also working for Royal Mail as head of sales. And I think he just retired at that point. So for me, I was like, okay, this is cool. I ended up in King's Cross, walked into this big warehouse in my suit. Classic, uh, the suit, very important. The suit, the suit. So this is why, and I walked in and there's this young guy and everyone's super young and... We had such a good chat and interview and I was actually going for an account manager role. What I, I thought I wanted to do is like partnerships of like advertising, partnerships, that kind of big deal kind of stuff. So I wanted to be an account manager and he was like, I actually think you'll be great in sales. And I was like, oh, okay. And I remember we then had a second interview. I went back in my suit. Everyone was like, who the hell is this guy in a suit? Like everyone's super casual. But it was like this awe of this place, this big warehouse in the middle of King's Cross. It was super cool, super different. And I remember the second time I went, I just had like a huge weekend. And like I arrived and I was like terrible in the interview. And like George, the head of sales there, just like I could see he saw something in me. And he was like, there's something he might have not been on fire for the second interview, but I feel like there's something in this yeah, guy. He and saw I, something. In it, yeah. And know. it was like a really encouraging sign. Like someone actually bet on me and like, I wasn't my best, but I like wanted to prove like yeah. I could do it. So I started working for wings and I absolutely loved it. It was such an incredible job. I got to talk to so many people in sales and reach out to so many people. I had so much energy to do that. It became quite natural for me, which I don't think I like knew. Which is great because like you hadn't been in this kind of role before and someone saw something, had a conversation with you and then you realized, oh, actually I have a ton of potential in this like area of work. Exactly. You said you had a story that you felt was important to your identity as it concerns traveling. Yeah, I actually told a story at the weekend. We went and climbed Mount Agung, which is the tallest uh, volcano here in Bali at 3,108 meters. And on the first night, we all had to lie on this blanket or this mat, which was Barbie mat, which is like, would be so cool right now. It'd probably sell for hundreds of dollars. They just have no idea. And we were all there hugging for warmth. And I put on my favorite song. And my favorite song is I Want You In My Soul by Lovebirds. And that song represents a big shift in my whole life. And that was when I first went traveling in Asia. I traveled by myself. I arrived in Bangkok. I had the most wild and wonderful three days of just meeting complete strangers at the bar. And that was around 2013. That was 2013, 2014. Was that around like the water ski era? Actually, it was two years after that. Two years after that. So 2015. Yeah. Okay. So then that would have been around the time of the suit tailoring and yes, all of that. Yes, exactly. Okay, cool. And I created this new identity. I went and arrived in Bangkok and I was super scared, but I was like, okay, this is what you wanted. Now you're feeling uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I just went to the hostel bar and I was like, hey, do you want to grab a beer? And the guy was like, yeah, sure. And that was as easy as it was. And from that whole moment, I traveled for three months. I took a book. I think I read like six pages in the whole book for the whole time. I was just always with people, yeah. always trying, just like meeting incredible people. And 
after Bangkok, I had three days of amazing time. And we then drove, I was going up on the train to Chiang Mai, which is a few hours away. And on the trains there, you can actually put your feet out of the train, which is the wildest thing for yeah. like someone from England is like, that's crazy. And like all these fields and cows and everything going past. And I'm like, this is so crazy. And I just sat there with my legs outside of the train. I put my headphones in. I put this song, I Want You In My Soul. And I cried for the first time in my whole life out of just pure happiness and joy. It was so magical. And till this day, that is my favorite song. And that was like so long ago now. Wow. And every time I put it on, it means so much to me. At that moment was like, I just felt this like deepness of my life is about to change a hundred percent. And at that moment I knew like I was like born for seeing the world different to what I'd maybe grown up with of like staying in this town. And like, I just knew it so deeply. And I just had this like energetical, like burst of joy and excitement for life and just like tears rushing down my face. And then I just had the most incredible few months of traveling and meeting people. And I was like, this is, this is me. This is, and you create a new identity. Because no one's put you in a box. At home, Jamie's the playing football of the silly one at the back of the class. They've put you in a box because that's who you were growing up. And everyone, as you're growing up, needs to help their own minds by putting people into boxes that helps things stay organized. But now no one knows who you are. So when you first introduce each other, you are exactly who you are at that moment. That's what they see. They don't see this old past Jamie. And so that was really special for me that I got to create this new identity, which was just me. It was just me at that right moment. It wasn't me pretending to be anyone else. It was just me. And that was really beautiful. And that shifted my whole identity into like me just being me, me trusting in me and just going forward in, in life and knowing so confidently life was going to be fucking amazing from that moment on. And it has been. And every year it gets better and better. And I think related to like that desire to seek the world. When you came back to London um, and were staying there with your girlfriend, and then you went to a ski trip and then came back to London again. Eventually you would do another big travel, right? In Southeast Asia. Can you tell me about the decisions that led up to you leaving London in 2019? So I was with my girlfriend for like four years. Um, we had such a good relationship, really good, really strong. I think I could have married this girl. It was great, but I knew I wanted to like see more of the world. And I remember thinking back and seeing, do you know when you go to these like weird bars in the middle of nowhere and there's like that weird one guy who's got a bit scraggly beard and he's just like, but then he has amazing stories and you're just like, who are you? And like, you're awesome. And like, you've seen the world and you've had, you've created all these stories and you're such a good storyteller. That excited me. I almost wanted to be that guy rather than this like predetermined, you get married, you've got the girlfriend, you get married, you then have, you move out and you get this house and then you get a baby and you follow this normal way of life. And I kind of was just like, that's so tame and boring. Whereas that guy sat there who might be a little bit lonely, he's got some stories to tell. Fuck, I want to be that guy. Hmm. And that was like a real exciting driver for me is like, do I want to be here? And I can marry this girl because she's amazing. Or do I take this like scary risk and do it? And it was the hardest decision of my life. And 
something I've became a lot better at is communicating and just sharing that vulnerability because she might have even been feeling similar things. And together we were actually such a good partnership and building up to that. I remember speaking to one friend and she was always like, why are you always seeing this friend? And I'm like, and I was like so scared to like say anything because she was also going through a tough time. And like, I didn't want to like upset things more and like make it even more shaky, the relationship. Um, but I would like rely on my friends to speak with and to like go through these emotions of like, I think I might want to break up and I think I want to move to Southeast Asia. And I remember saying that finally to her. Where were you when you said that? Like, how did you propose that? Oh, it was the worst experience ever. I, I felt like I started to be get old at that point because every morning I would have to wake up and go for a week. So uh, at like three, four in the morning, I used to wake up every morning. I'd go for a week and then I would get back into bed and lying next to her. And I would just think for over and over and I couldn't ever sleep for like this went on for three months for every morning. I wouldn't sleep. So from like four in the morning to like seven or whatever time we woke up, I would just be thinking about this. And it was such a hard decision for me. And one day I was just like, okay, I need to stop this. This is not helpful. And instead one day I was like, I'm going to do it. I have to do it. So putting things in like a bag to like, okay, I'll go stay with a friend that night. Like it's happening. Today's the day. And she came home from work. So I said it, I think I want different things. I think I want to break up. And she just kind of looked at me like, what the hell? You've never communicated this once with me. And that's so scary to like know that we can hold things and not say anything for months, even though we're like best friends. I would have just been scared that she would be upset, which I was just going to upset her and make it even worse by not telling her now in retrospect. So that was pretty awful. And obviously it was crazy to have my best friend and then losing that. And then we, we decided to break up and she did say like, oh, well, we can make it work. I can, we'll, we'll go with you. Just need one more. Yeah. She just started a new job and she was like, I just need one year here in London. Like just stick with me for one more year. And I was like, I think I actually do want, I want to go away. I want to, uh, I want to break up. And it was so scary and hard for me, but I think I knew like deep down that was the right thing to do. One beautiful thing about it, like, Two years later, I think it was two years, I came back to London and we, we met up and we talked about it for the first time very honestly and very openly. And she said, like, even if you had stayed for that whole like one year with me, I would never have came to Southeast Asia with you. I would have made you stay. And that was and she said, this is the you you made the hardest decision, but it was the best thing for both of us because now we're going to be a lot happier. And I think one thing that was go always going through mine, if I can't make myself happy, how can I make her happy? And I wasn't knew I couldn't be happy in London. Like I, I wasn't thriving. I wasn't able to thrive there because like financial constraints and just like the way it was. Whereas when I was in Southeast Asia, I lived like a king and I could thrive. And I had this like new energy of meeting people. And it was just like, that was like the epic Jamie and like London Jamie was like, I had all these cool friends and lovely and it was amazing and this amazing girlfriend and amazing flat, amazing work, but it wasn't like thriving Jamie. It was just like Jamie trying to survive and I wanted to go and thrive. So that was like my biggest thing. Uh, when did you eventually leave? Yeah, I think it was maybe 
end of September, made the decision, and then I wanted to move to Southeast Asia. I spoke to my boss. So uh, all of the guys at the company were so amazing. We were like such a cool family. And we, they really helped in like, what are your next steps? Career progression to find out what we wanted to do. And I knew I wanted Southeast Asia, but I didn't know where. I've been to Vietnam, I've been to Bali, I've been to all these different places, but I didn't know where was the hub for like startups. And I kind of wanted to go slightly bigger company first, find where I wanted to go into, and then maybe stay there for a year or two. And then I would get into a startup and like go small and I would know exactly which pocket or where I wanted to be. And then I spoke to a few people in Singapore and they all loved it. So I, I basically found contacts, how I did it was speaking to people. They then said, oh, I know a guy in Singapore. I know someone in Vietnam, you speak to him. And so and then I would have a conversation with them. And the three or four people I spoke to in Singapore loved it. And then I was like, hmm. And it ultimately gave me the stepping stone, Singapore as to then allow me myself to fly into all these different places that would allow me to like know where I want to stay. And so how did you use that as a stepping stone to decide that Bali was the place you wanted to move? But Bali was never on the radar. Bali was like this dream place of this holiday island that didn't exist of being able to work. I arrived in Singapore and I met one guy called James Holmes, which is such an incredible dude with his effort to try and get me a job. I arrived, I didn't have a job. I was just trying to meet as many people as possible. He would take me out for beers and introduce me to all his mates. Say like, hey, if anyone needs, like is looking for someone for a job, like get this guy a job. I ended up getting a, a job, a sales role at a economics, a macroeconomics firm. And I saw that as the stepping stone into like what I wanted to do. Bali was never an option. How did it become an option? Well, when I first arrived in Singapore, I ended up getting this this job and we kind of signed. We had to wait two months for the um, the visa to come through. I went traveling to Japan. I went to Australia and I also did the Philippines. The Philippines, I met this gang of friends who are my best friends in my whole life now. And they, again, changed my whole way of, of, of life. I arrived back in Singapore. They arrived and stayed for one weekend. And that's when COVID started. They came for one weekend. And just before that, I met a guy at a co-working place. Funny story was that I went to this co-working place. The owner of it, he posted online about this towel company. And I, while I was working at Capital Economics, I was like, I want to start an e-commerce business again. I want to learn again. I want to like find an item and uh, items and get exactly start like a side hustle and get into it and just practice. Why did you want to start a side hustle? Why, why was that important? Well, I was working more in a corporate environment. I was like now in a shirt and, and trousers and it was more not me. I wanted to take that role because I wanted to learn from a sales guru, like a really good sales guy. That's what I wanted to join this company. And then that when I got accepted to the job and the guy interviewed me, and then when I was joining, he also left. So I was like, damn it, like what I was trying to go. Yeah, yeah. It was like, I'm going to learn from this guy. And he actually left. So I was like, ah, oh. but then I did get his market, which was pretty good. Uh, I think in like three months, it became the top seller of the whole, whole company. And then at one point, I like three, four months in, I hit like the record for the for that team in the in the singapore office i was smashing it and and really focused on on that uh, but it wasn't exactly like how you wanted to show up in the world no it was all new and i knew that i just needed to put the grunt work in and it it, it actually taught me that i was good at sales i thought i wasn't it taught me two things one was 
that I'm not the best at sales, but what I am is a relationship seller. Second thing was to be on time. If I was one minute late to the calls, they wouldn't answer. And that really taught me throughout my whole life now. I'm like, I am on, on time because if I miss that one minute and lose that opportunity, that's like a $10,000 deal lost, right? Uh, that were the main things that I learned. But on the side, I wanted to do some like side hustle. So I met this guy. He had this towel company through LinkedIn. I was like, oh, I want to start a towel company. There's been no innovation in towels. There is like everyone has a towel in the world. Everyone has a phone now. Everyone's phone overheats when you go to the beach. If they had a zip pocket, if there was like things to not make the sand blow on, like in the corners, uh, there's maybe some nicer material to like, uh, it could be like a travel towel that could compact. So there was like ideas there, like, okay, that's a towel I want to do. And then this guy was like, start this towel company. I was like, okay, let's add him on LinkedIn for future. I'll come back to when I'm doing research. I'll, I'll speak to him. And then he messaged me like, Hey, we're looking for a head of sales. Uh, do you want to have a chat? And I'm like, Oh no, not really. Because I just started this job. I was three months in, I started smashing it. I was yeah. making all this money. And I was like, well, not really. But then it was a, backpacking band brand that was sustainable and they just launched this kickstarter campaign which are doing very well like hundreds of thousands and i was like ah oh, okay i'm I'll, I'll have a chat and we had one chat and it just like blew me away of like oh man this is exactly what i want to be doing why did you know it was what you wanted to be doing I love to travel. I love backpacking. I loved e-commerce. I understood the e-commerce market. I my mind goes like, oh man, I can see myself mm -hmm. thriving in this 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 kind of company where we can be getting products, cool products into all of these stores and around the world and like being this like brand that is really making an impact, a positive impact. And I think there was something really inspiring and like exciting about that opportunity. And I was like, oh man, this is actually, and so we, we went for a few runs around Singapore, Singapore, like locked down, but like he got, he actually was flying back to Bali and got stuck. And he was like, Hey, we're, st we're all of the guys, there's going to be a few of the head, a few of the co-founders. We're all going to live in a big house in Changu in, in Bali and build a startup. And I was like, dude, like <laughs> that sounds awesome thing yeah. for me. But like, I've just got this job and I'm three months in and I'm like, I'm, I am ma making a, a lot of money. Like for the first time, like tens of thousands of dollars a month in commission. Uh, you have that abundance. Yeah, it was, it was like, I was saving so much money and I was like, well, if there's a time, this could be it. So I said, Hey, why don't I try and help you a little bit? And I'll like test out the market and see if, if there are customers out there it was, uh, working obviously full time. Then the world started shutting down. My friends came for one weekend from the Philippines. They end up staying for like two months and three weeks. But also like you are moving to this travel company during or thinking about it during a point where for most of the world, the travel is completely like destroyed. Well, you just nailed it because my dad, who continues to give me such good advice, one of the things that he did tell me, Jamie, so you're telling me you're going to join a travel and backpacking brand which sells a travel towel whilst nobody's traveling. Hmm, that sounds like a really good idea. Yeah, you should leave your high-paying job in Singapore, which was very secure and really good, to go and do this. Yeah, that sounds great. And I'm like, hmm, yeah, you're probably right. But like, I want to go for it, yeah. Yeah, this is the aspirational thing. And I knew backpacking slightly different to Bali, but it was like super cool. I thought Bali would be like the end destination in like 20 years time. Of what was it like living in, in Bali and like creating this this company? 
Yeah, it was the wildest and, and it was so super scary. Like, again, I I was a big personality, I think, in my whole life. But I found, I arrived and I lived with a, in this huge villa. Uh, I mean, it was COVID time, so everything was like seven, eight times cheaper than it was. So we were like one and a half thousand dollars. I think we we're paying for this like five bedroom, huge villa. And like now it's probably like 10 grand. Wow. Something like that. And... We got a private chef because it was so cheap for wow. a year and a half. Seen Silicon Valley, the, the TV show. It was like that, but just Bali version. The hardest part, though, when I first arrived was that everyone was such a big personality in the house. These huge personalities in the house made me feel very small. The job was new, brand new as a head of sales. And that's actually how I kind of got into this new job is like looking for mentors because I'd never done it before. And I couldn't rely on the guys I could like who were in the company. I just remember feeling very not good enough, I guess. And it's also, it's like, not like you're entering into this position where selling is easy. The product is done, but the need for the product has gone down massively. And so you're selling on hard mode. Like this is, this is probably the most difficult time to sell a travel product. So how did you feel like just trying to do your job? Yeah, it was extremely difficult, but I almost felt like I had to like still prove that the market was there to get position in the house. And I really wanted that lifestyle that it was so important for me to like prove it. And the only way to prove it was like grinding and pushing probably maybe even harder than some of the other guys working because that's how I would survive. And without it, I, was, I would lose everything and I'd lose this opportunity. You're totally right. Nobody's traveling. Everyone's not spending money on travel comp uh, products. No one's going to retailers. I'm selling into retailers. Retailers are not taking any risks on new brands. And also, we only had a travel towel. So like when I did speak to the retailers or the distributors, they were like, yeah, well, this is great. But like your product will just get lost within the shell. We didn't have the sales to have the budget. So it was so difficult. But anyway, I built a, a team of six of us. So we had such a thriving team that was so good. And I found a love for like managing and we got into a real flow and ultimately found a way to set myself up for success. And that was sending the right messages to the leads and, and, and finding them and messaging them and crafting the right message for them basically to book the calls with me. And then I would jump on the call and be that relationship seller. So I'd be doing calls at any time of the night, but I would, that's how I've again found what I'm good at is just talking to people and building that trust with people and making people believe like what I believe. Were you able to turn the tide of the company? In the sales side, of, I think in the first year, year and a half, we got uh, like $100,000 in sales. Wow. That's, I mean, in, during COVID, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people started to take, I think one order was $30,000. And we got a few big customers, one of the biggest distributors in the whole of Scandinavia and took a chance on us. How do you make like a pricing thing? Like it was all, it was so crazy and so amazing to see, like, again, we didn't know anything and we produce something and people believe in it and buy into it. And, and the, the, the great thing about the, the product as well is that it was a, it's a travel towel because travel towels are made out of hundred percent plastic. These microfibers. So this was a bamboo alternative. And with that, we also collected two pounds of trash from the, from the planet. And so we would organize cleanups and we started putting these river barriers into the rivers that I think the ocean cleanup, uh, came out with a study to say that 80% of the trash in our oceans are coming from 1000 of the dirtiest rivers in the whole world, which was like a crazy stat. And we're like, well, hang on a second. Why is no one like tackling the rivers? It is coming from us. Let's tackle the rivers. And so... In Indonesia here, we have, I think it was like 
maybe 23% in the Philippines. I think it was 40, 43. And so we started placing the barriers in the thousand dirtiest rivers. And I think right now, maybe done like four or five in the, wow. uh, and, and helping and make a big impact, which is awesome. So I really believed in it and really uh, wanted the company to do so well. But ultimately, you're right. It was such an uphill battle and you can't win when you're struggling. And also due to delays of COVID and shipping prevented us getting more products, which meant my job was even harder. We could sell. Yeah, but the supply chain issues were so difficult for so many companies. So that was a real struggle. But ultimately, I loved the experience, built such a thriving team and made me just like fall in love with that aspect. What was the moment that you decided to leave? Well, it was actually probably a realization on their side that it was just not sustainable to pay my salary to um, when the sales were not coming in. And I was trying so hard and staying up. And like, I remember doing cold calls to uh, every night and super late because it was also mainly uh, like to distributors in America or Europe meant that it was very late nights here. So I was working all the time and taking calls early in the morning because ultimately it was only me who would do the selling. Um, I did hire one lady um, who came in for a little bit, then she left. So I was doing basically all of the like closing and it kind of got to that point of like, we, I was thinking of like, this probably is not, I'm not going to be able to make the money to sustain myself. I was actually spending more money. Luckily I had savings from Singapore. It wasn't sustainable for me to stay at the company. And then they also saw that and came to the decision of like, Hey, this is not sustainable for us to, to work. How did that conversation feel? Well, it was pretty terrible. They basically just, I kind of knew something going to happen. I felt very disrespected of what I'd put into the company to then just get, they like almost like, Hey, we made this decision. Yeah, you, you, you're fired. And I was like, wait, hang on a second. There's a shareholder of the company unexpected that they would do it in such a weird way. And I just called them out on it after. And I was just like blown away. We're all like great friends. So it's such a weird way of doing things. And I just communicated that after and called them out. And I said, Hey guys, this is not how you do anything like that. It was almost like the way they did it was like the way I did it with my ex-girlfriend. No communication at all. And just like, yep, okay, that's it done. Which is almost like the scared way of doing the hard thing, which is actually communicate your feelings and your vulnerabilities. And that's actually the best way to build a better relationship and come up with a decision together, which is better for everyone long-term rather than the short-term like, oh no, I don't know what to say. And okay, it's over. Bye. But anyway, our relationship is great now. What did you decide to do next? William, who is part of the company of Pangea, co-founder said, hey, well, I was, he was like, what are you thinking of doing? I was like, I'm not sure. And he's like, well, there's a cool idea that we have, which is interesting because it's all about mentorship and part of Pangea. And he's actually, when I first arrived, was like, as I said, I didn't know what I was doing. I needed, to, I was hoping to speak with someone who could be a mentor for me. And so what I did is I signed up to a mentoring site. I put in all my details. I made a profile. I then searched for a head of sales. So maybe five years experience, someone who was in e-commerce and someone who preferably worked in Asia because then they would understand the logistics. And there was a lot of like moving around and logistics side of things, especially from China. And I found nobody on this site. So I went to LinkedIn. I found a list of a few people. I messaged them. I then set, uh, set up a calls with quite a few people. And then I ended up finding two mentors from it. And so they stuck with me for that whole year and a half throughout that whole time. One of the guys, Kyle, who was the, the founder of Indosol, which is a really cool 
flip-flop and they do a few things, but that's why my shoes are stolen. My, I got my flip-flop stolen yesterday by a dog, one, one of them. <laughs> and Cal was incredible. And another guy called BJ really, ch again, changed my trajectory of my whole sales of understanding. And like, that's probably why we got the hundred thousand dollars in sales because of these guys, which was super cool. And I saw the value in mentorship. And so when William said, Hey, I think there's like something here that we could do, uh, within like doing your model. I actually presented at Pangea. We did like sessions each, which I thought was a really cool idea within, we taught something that we deeply cared about. So like one girl, uh, in the Pangea team told us about her postcards and she used to do like pen pal postcards with like people in other countries. Super cool. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And so we all, and I, one of my, my session was on mentorship, how to find a mentor. So I told everyone, presented everyone in the whole company, Hey, this is my process to find a mentor. Think of who you can do, who you would like to speak to. Who's maybe two steps ahead of you. Find them like people like that on LinkedIn, find them, add them on LinkedIn, send them a message go speak to them, like go through that process. And that's exactly what William said. Like, Hey, we can build this whole process. This could be the company. So that was the first step of a company we named Momentor. Uh, so a mentor for a moment, which was the first, the 1.0 of, of being there. And so where is the company today? So most recently we just went through a rebrand. I felt like the long-term aspirations of where I see our vision for the company, where I see it isn't so suitable with the word mentor because mentor means different things to different people. And it's a little bit scary. One thing I didn't like was when you, I spoke to a few people, I said, Hey, would you be a mentor? And they're like, Oh no, I'm not good enough to be a mentor, which was so interesting to me because I was looking at these people like, well, you've done so much and you're successful in this and you're, you've built a business that might not be like a million dollars, but you're like, you're, you're running a hundred thousands of dollars. That's really cool. And they're like, no, I'm not good enough. I want to inspire millions of people to get into mentorship or advice sharing. I believe that way society can thrive together and learn so much more and being there represents that. If I ask you, Hey, could you be my mentor and teach me about podcasting and, and talking to people? Um, you might be like, well, I, I don't know if I'm good enough to, to mentor someone. Like I just do it. I don't know how to teach someone. Right. But if I ask you another question, like, Hey, you've been there, you've built a, like a podcast company business. You're, you're doing it many episodes. I would love to speak to someone who's been there before and, and done it. Could you help me? And you're like, Actually, I have done it. Yeah, sure. Okay, I'll help you share my experience. That's a lot easier to get into. What advice do you think you would give to the person that is curious about starting something of their own but hasn't quite taken the leap? So interestingly, in my research, I found that there's two kinds of people in this world. The first is like me, where when I have a challenge... My instant reaction is like, who do I need to speak to who will know that? And then the other person will do a more of the internal research. They will look online, they will spend time. And then if they don't find the answer, they will then find someone to speak to. So I think looking back and, and the best advice, speak to people. Everyone now is so reachable. Find that person on LinkedIn. Like speak to that guy. Like people are actually so more forthcoming with uh, with help than I think people realize. And I think if everyone had just like a guide, independent, very importantly, independent to their family, their friends, go and speak to someone independent. 
and excuse my French, but I like someone who doesn't give a fuck about you. Speak to someone really independent who will just tell you frankly that's maybe not the best and smartest idea. So have you thought about this? I love that you're thinking about this. Keep pursuing that. Keep doing that consistently and you will get to that st step. And one of the most beautiful things about mentorship and, and finding these connections, people see things in you. And that's such an encouraging feeling when you're like, wow, this person deeply cares for me. I can go to them with anything. And if more people had that in the world and these like people they can go to to seek advice and as a trusted person i think i think you'd feel so much more confident in the world that you're on the right step you're 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 shooting into the right direction to to achieve what you want thank you so much for listening if you haven't already make sure to subscribe rate the podcast five stars and share with a friend if you have any questions or comments dm us at finding founders podcast on instagram linkedin or facebook Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner. Our audio editing team lead is Ashley Jimenez with support from Jessica Morales, Miley Lipton, Siyu Pan, Kenny Ray, Josie Yo, Matt Fernandez, and Merritt Hill. Our outreach and research team lead is Desiree Nunez with support from Marissa Granados, Monica Lee, Sarah Tiersma. And y'all will. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.co. Thanks again for listening and see you next week. <laughs>